0: Welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. I am so excited about today. I'm going to be interviewing someone that I have really admired for a long time, who's an incredible MD, but also specializes in something that is very close to my heart and really has an impact in women's lives, and that's hormones. So we are going to be talking to New York Times bestselling author, Dr. Sarah Godfrey, Who's the leading hormone expert? When it comes to hormone balancing and hormone education, hundreds of thousands trust Dr. Gottfried and her advice. I am really thrilled to have you. Thank you so much and welcome to my show.
1: Thank you, Dr. Leaf. Happy to be here.
0: Ah, it's wonderful. There's so many things that we started even kind of touching on before we began the interview. And I'm very excited to dive into understanding hormones and you being the expert. I mean, as I just mentioned in, your, in the little intro that I did for you. And by the way, there's a great intro. Go read the intro on on the show notes. It's uh, Dr. Sarah Godfrey has an amazing, amazing bio. There's just so many important areas to cover when it comes to this. So where's a good place to begin? Do you want to tell us you know, just how you got into this and how you specialized in this and why? Maybe that's a great place to start.
1: It started out of necessity because I was in my 30s about 35. I had one kid, wanted to have another kid. I was married. I was working in medicine, meaning that I was seeing about 30 to 40 patients a day. I was burning the candle at both ends. And I just felt too young to feel so old. I was really struggling. I had PMS. I didn't want to have sex with my husband. He's hot. There was no like obvious reason for that. And I remember... Caroline, I hope I can call you that. Of course, please. If I can call, call you me Sarah, Sarah, that's great. Yeah, call Wonderful. Me Sarah. Yeah. So I went to my doctor, as many women do, and said, you know, here's my list of woes. And I I found that what he offered was an antidepressant. So, you know, he said, Why don't you take a birth control pill? Oh, you're struggling with your weight. You just need to exercise more and eat less. And that's where I just realized that. We are failing men and women when it comes to some of these issues that we face, whether it's at midlife or before that or after that. And so I left his office, I went to the lab and I science myself. I did a hormone panel and I found that my hormones were completely out of whack. So that's what really got me started on this path. You know, in particular, I found that cortisol, the main stress hormone, was three times what it should have been. I found that that was taking several other hormones out of balance, such as my thyroid, my estrogen and progesterone, even my testosterone. So that got me started on this path because I realized we can do something about this. We can change our lifestyle. We can change the way that we eat, and we can get some of these hormones back into balance without resorting on an antidepressant. I mean, there's a time and a place for them, certainly, but... It's not what I needed and it's not what the majority of my patients need. So that's where I got started, where I realized the power of mindset, the power of lifestyle redesign, the power of nutrition and the way that we eat in helping us with creating the most robust health possible. Yeah. When I hear doctors say
0: what you've just said, I wanted to sort of jump up and shout with joy because I've trained so many physicians in my lifetime and the, what you've just brought to the table is what is happening. I mean, it's, we get so many people sending us emails with these things, and I'm not a medical doctor, so I don't advise on it, and I refer to various people. This is why I'm so thrilled we've got you on the show. But it's true, just like it's immediately an antidepressant. I mean, those mess your hormones. It's, I've done enough research on antidepressants to know that they, you know, so your hormones are, are playing a role, but you're going to get them even more messed up. So it's not going to make it better. And just kind of you know you overeating or change your it's not quite that simple it's so much more complex and i love that you say that there's a solution you know and that we need to look at i mean hormones are driving can you talk for a moment just you the expert i don't want to step into your wheelhouse let's talk about why hormones are just so important for every aspect of us as a human and our mental health
1: hormones drive what you're interested in they drive mood They drive metabolism. And here, I think it's important to think more broadly than maybe you've thought in the past about what metabolism is. Metabolism is all the biochemical pathways in your body. So I want people to think about metabolism much more broadly than you might conceive of it now. Metabolism is not just how fast or slow that you burn calories. It is the aggregate of all the biochemical pathways in your body including the ones that determine how fast or slow you burn calories. Calories matter, but hormones matter more. It's involved in trauma. It's involved in depression. We know, for instance, that about half of patients with depression have high cortisol levels. In fact, we use it as a suicide marker, but we don't use it enough. A lot of psychiatrists are not trained to measure some of these hormones. So hormones have such an important role in both our physical health and our mental health. I would even say our spiritual health.
0: If we want to be healthier mentally and physically, one of the best things we can possibly do is get several hours of quality sleep every night. The brain and body heal itself when we sleep. It really is one of the most amazing processes, even if you're not conscious when it happens. But I know it's hard to get good quality sleep sometimes. Your mind keeps you awake, life is stressful and there are often a 100 anxious reasons why you can't fall asleep at night. Thankfully, there are also ways we can improve our sleep quality and overall health, including taking magnesium. Believe it or not, around 75% of people don't have enough magnesium. No wonder so many people have sleep problems. But please do not run to the store to buy the first magnesium supplement you find. Most magnesium supplements use only the two cheapest synthetic forms and, since they're not full-spectrum, they won't support better sleeping habits. There are actually seven unique forms of magnesium, and you must get all of them if you want to experience its calming, sleep-enhancing effects. That's why I recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bio-Optimizers. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed and you'll be amazed at how much better you sleep. And how much more rested you feel when you wake up. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash leaf and use Dr. Leaf 10 during checkout to save 10% on your order. The link and details will be in the show notes. When you said that about the cortisols, well, my most recent clinical trial, one of the measures that we had, obviously, we looked at narrative psychology and um, psychological measures, the narrative, the QEGs so in the brain, and we looked at uh, you know, various biomarkers and DNA telomeres. And cortisol was literally through the roof with every and and you quite right. when mean, you talk about it as a suicide marker. I mean, that's uh, the the couple of our subjects were suicidal, were on the verge, had thought about it. It was. I mean, a lot of people think of suicide. It's more common than we actually realise. But that you know, the fact that you say that the you're not looking at these holistic ways of assessing. When someone comes in, you can't just take a symptom checklist and give someone a diagnosis of clinical depression when they haven't looked at the hormones. They haven't looked at all these other aspects. It's so complex. And it's been so simplified down to just a symptom checklist and only one angle. Whereas we've got to look more broadly. Isn't that, Isn't that really what, you, what you're trying to promote? Or not promote, but you're trying to help people understand with your work?
1: That's right. I mean, you know, one of the things that we use to screen for depression is the PH9. So it's nine questions that we ask. I know the PH9. You know the PH9. It's, you know, a really simple questionnaire, and it allows physicians, especially primary care doctors who have very little time, you know, seven to 10 minutes to screen a patient and look at all these different aspects of health. It's a tool that we can use. But I, I think what we deserve is a much more holistic, as you said, a much more integrative, a deeper analysis of what's really going on, you know, at the level of the cells, at the level of the genes, how those are interacting with the environment, because that's what really allows us to look at root causes rather than just to mask the symptoms with a pharmaceutical.
0: You're in my wheelhouse now. I mean, this is so absolutely, <laughs> absolutely critical. In my most, in my recent trials, we were also at first a couple of research trials back, we were, I developed a tool called the LMM, the Life My Management Scale. And the reason I developed this over 30 years and then we've been testing and validating is because of things like the PH9 and that kind of thing, PHQ and those kind of things, they, they they're useful, but they look at how the person is in the moment. They're not going to give you the big picture. And what I wanted to look at was mind management, self-regulation, how is a person actually kind of, you know, the moment stuff is not going to tell you the whole story. And even that's not going to tell you the whole story. But what was interesting, just when you spoke about cortisol earlier on and you spoke about scales, one of the things that we found was a significant correlation between how a person is self-regulating or managing their mind. So, okay, I'm depressed because of, let me go and do something about it versus someone who is, I'm depressed, I can't, I, and I, they identify as depression their cortisol levels were through the roof. There was a significant correlation. Their scale scores were very low and their self-regulation and their cortisol was through the roof. And the ones that had more self-regulation, the cortisol was, was lowest. So there was a signal and the system we found a significant relationship. So, it's, I mean, that just is underscoring what you're saying. It's besides, the, you know, it's kind of a backup to kind of support what you're saying, what you know, this holistic approach is vital. So I'm really, I'm just, I, I hope more doctors will just listen and read your books, which I know there are. And I know there's a trend, isn't there? There's, there's a move in the medical profession to move more holistically, isn't there?
1: There is, but it's it's slow, Caroline. You know, I wish, I wish I could say that, you know, things are looking fabulous in terms of transformation of our broken healthcare system. The truth is there aren't enough people like you are on the cutting edge, bringing this research forward and explaining that we need a much more integrative model. It's not necessarily to replace what exists right now, but it's a way of adding value, which I, I think is so important. You also raised another factor when you were talking about homocysteine. A lot of folks don't realize that homocysteine is this marker of one of those biochemical pathways that's so important for metabolism methylation. I just had a patient right before joining you today on this podcast who has a homocysteine that's quite elevated. He's a professional athlete and he's got high inflammatory tone. So he's got too much inflammation in his body and we've got to bring that inflammatory tone down for him to perform as the best possible player that he can be. So that's his story. There's other people who have inflammation you know kind of this i think of it as like a fraternity party that's happening in the body a party gone wrong and inflammation we know is related to so many mental health issues as well as physical health issues anxiety depression through the gut brain axis but i'm getting a little ahead of myself let's go no, back no, to no no it. It. it's great it's
0: it's excellent
1: <laughs> it's actually fantastic
0: because we can always come back and circle around so if you want to continue explaining you you you're doing a beautiful job so please continue I think it's really important what you're saying. We can always circle back down to the horm- hormones.
1: Well, inflammation, you know, whenever I see inflammation in a patient, whether that's a professional athlete or, you know, a, a stay at home mother, I think about what's going on in the gut because the gut is where 70% of the immune system resides. And often there's this civil war that's happening in the gut. And you may not know it. You may not have any gut symptoms. You may not have constipation, diarrhea, gut pain, bloating. You may just think, oh, my mental health is not what it could be. You know, that may be your only sign. And so, unless you have someone or you have the wherewithal, the empowerment to be checking for some of these biomarkers, some of these lab tests like homocysteine, like high sensitivity C-reactive protein, even neutrophil to lymphocyte ratio, some of these markers of inflammation, you don't know that this is happening. And you know what I see with a lot of my patients is that they've got something called increased intestinal permeability. They've got leaky gut. So those tight junctions in their gut wall are not as tight as they should be. And so they start to have this increased inflammatory response. And their immune system is you know, just getting ramped up. And it leads to this feeling of sometimes mental health changes like anxiety, depression, and so forth, PMS.
0: You know, your mind's driving your brain and body, the psychoneurophysiology, but then once you know, your neurophysiology's messed up with the hormones driving the whole show kind of thing, your mind, which drives the overall arching show, it's going to feed back into that. So you get that cycle going and people feel, when you feel physically awful, it just, so it's, that's where the, it's so important that people understand the role of hormones. So I'd love to to keep the information side and we come back to that and then come, let's, we'll come back to that. Let's just go back to the hormones because one of the things that I wanted to ask you about this as well is that we also found prolactin and I'm sure you've seen the research on it that prolactin is also there's a lot of great new research showing that that's also an indication of link, very linked to emotional management, emotional health, mental health, even in males. People always say, oh, well, that's just, you know, lactating woman. But that's not the case. It's also really important. So there's so many, so many stories from hormones that we can learn about ourselves. But anyway, can how would you like to pick it up from your story and how you went and used yourself as an experiment and did the whole science work on yourself and you found your hormones were off and you changed your hormones? What happened from there and why and how? Can we understand? Can you help us understand that kind of big collective picture?
1: What happened for me was that it took me about four weeks to wrangle my cortisol, to get it back into that normal range, or even what I think of as the optimal range. So it's important to recognize that in the US, we have these average ranges that we use for hormones, but I don't want to be average. I don't want for our listeners or viewers to be average. I want you to be optimal. I think you deserve that. And so, for cortisol, it took me about four weeks a combination of meditation, a few supplements, the self awareness, and the self regulation that you were just talking about. So, I implemented my own to really get that cortisol back where I needed it to be so that it was able to support me, be the wind at my back rather than working against me. And when you get cortisol in place, in some ways, it's. I think of it like from The Godfather. I think of it as Michael Cortisolioni because <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, the truth is, these hormones are a bit hierarchical. So cortisol is essential for life. We need it for. It's the Godfather. So we need it for managing glucose, for you know, sending glucose to your legs so that you can fight flight. We need it for. Regulating the immune system, we need it for so many different functions in the body. And so what I advise many of my patients is to focus first on cortisol. Now, I manage a lot of different hormones, and part of what we want to work with is not necessarily fixing every hormone individually, but to think about the control system. And you related to this when you were talking about the feedback systems of the body, because I'm an engineer. I think about the feedback system of the brain, the hypothalamus and the pituitary, how that talks to your adrenal glands, where you make cortisol, as well as many other sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. It's also talking to your thyroid. It's talking to your gut. It's talking to your gonads, testes in men, ovaries, and women. So this whole system is a feedback system that we want to have working on our side. And we want to work with the innate intelligence of the body, rather than to start using sledgehammers, such as, oh, you got a thyroid problem. Let me give you this dose of thyroid medication. We need to take a step back and look at how these hormones work together as a symphony.
0: That is incredibly important. I like that you said sledgehammer there. That's so true because it's very it's it's become so. Nothing is in isolation. Works in isolation. So you've got to you know if if you've got a thyroid thyroid issue, there's other other things going on there too. So you've got to look holistically. That's so important. So to take that into account is vital. So that's amazing. So when we when we talk about hormones, people immediately think like feminine hormones. You know the female hormones but it's so much, it's male and female that you're working with and it's hormones that are, hormones that are driving our system. So, and, and I love how you go, you know, if you've got it, even though you say cortisol's the sort of godfather, I love that. I love what, 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 what the godfather, the, that compola, what is, what is his name again? You <laughs> Well, called, uh, Dan, Dan, Robert's- Dan cor- the, the, you mentioned Dan Corti- Cortisolioni. Oh, Michael you- <laughs> Cortisolioni. Michael, that's yeah. yeah, so great. But the <laughs> actual, but the, the, the director of the godfather of the Godfather series, he actually said that the way to 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 kind of override any system that's negative. He was talking in general about like politics and society, but it applies to what you're saying. Just reminded you, said you've got to you've got to work from the inside out. So if you're gonna if you're gonna succeed, you've got to work from the inside out. You don't come with a sledgehammer from the external in and kind of when you were saying all of this, it made me think really it seems that we're on the topic of the Godfather or as on the analogy of the Godfather. you That's what you're doing. You're working from the inside out and the inside is a very complex system. So to just come, because we're very much in a day and age where I believe we, are, I get this all the time, what's the quick fix for anxiety? What's a quick fix for, you know, there is no quick fix for anything. It's a whole systems approach. It's a holistic approach. It's an ongoing assessment approach that you're constantly doing. It's an ongoing monitoring approach. And I'm hearing you say the same thing when it comes to hormones. So can you explain a little bit more just about the different maybe types of hormones and and a little bit more, going to a little bit more depth, and maybe let's move into a little bit about women's hormones as well and maybe even touch on things like BHRT. It's such, it's, such a, it's such a huge open field that we can go, world that we can go into. So what would be the best and easiest way to approach this that would help our listeners understand hormones and the importance of them?
1: I so love how you message that, you know, this this work is complex and it may sometimes feel overwhelming, but I can also say that living with your hormones out of balance is so much harder than the work that it takes to get your hormones back into balance. So I just want to say that to give people a sense of hope. So when it comes to female hormones, what I think of quintessentially is. Estrogen, progesterone, those are the hormones that you start to make more of when you go through puberty. And that's when so many of our young women, especially, develop anxiety for the first time. There's this combination of estrogen rising together with oxytocin. And so, you know, as I've watched my two daughters go through their teenage years, what I see is suddenly they care so much about their looks, they care about their friends, they care about what other people think of them. They start to notice more anxiety than they did when they were younger, when they were preteens. And so those are the hormones that are running puberty. And then throughout our menstrual lives, you know, it takes a while for the system to mature. And often younger women don't have regular cycles until they're a few years into it. What what happens is that once you have regular ovulatory cycles, and there's some exceptions, such as with polycystic ovary syndrome, you have a predictable level of estrogen and progesterone that changes almost every day. So that's throughout the hypothetical 28-day cycle until you know some of us decide to get pregnant, have kids, go through the postpartum period. That's a whole other hormonal situation where your estrogen, progesterone, the estrogen changes from something called estradiol to estriol, and the levels are much higher. A lot of women, when they're postpartum, they experience the birth of this beautiful baby, the, the delivery of their placenta, and their hormones go from sky high down to almost nothing. And that can be a preview of perimenopause because that's Similar to what happens when you turn 35, 40, 45, and your hormones start to fluctuate more. It's almost like puberty in reverse, where progesterone begins to decline as you run out of ripe eggs in your ovaries. And also, your estrogen, at least in the first phase of perimenopause, can fluctuate wildly. And that can lead to more mood disturbances. We know that's associated with greater depression, with dysphoria. With more anxiety, especially that can relate to the type of estrogen receptor that's getting stimulated, more ER beta compared to ER, less ER beta compared to ER alpha. And then the second half of perimenopause is where estrogen starts to decline. And then in menopause, when you go for a year without a cycle, or if you've had a hysterectomy, as an example, your FSH starts to rise, estradiol starts to decline, and that's kind of a whole new period in terms of having more stable hormones. Now, one of the cool things that happens, Caroline, is that for a lot of women, when they go through their menstrual years, because they're so used to this fluctuation, this predictable fluctuation in estrogen and progesterone, they accommodate. They accommodate. They're used to accommodating. It's almost like a hormonal veil that kind of makes us accommodate other people. And what I hear from a lot of women in perimenopause and menopause, and I love hearing this, is that that hormonal veil comes off and women start to speak their truth, sometimes for the the first time. And that to me is very exciting. That's where you have this opportunity to really step into ownership of your power to not put up with some of those relationships that may not be serving you, not put up with a job that, you know, doesn't really fulfill you and is aligned with your mission. So there's a lot of opportunity along the way. It's not, I don't want to be overly reductionistic about just saying, you know, it's, it's all about the hormones.
0: No, obviously there's a whole complex. And we've painted that picture right in the beginning, that this is a complex. This is part of, because your hormones, your lifestyle and everything is influencing how there's a natural flow that happens. As we get older, but that can be disrupted by and will be disrupted by life because all these trauma things happen that we can't and all these unpredictable things happen. So our body's pretty tough in dealing with that. But then we still, that's why we have science and medicine and how we advance so that we can learn how to cope with, as life advances and poses more challenges, it puts more stress on our, I always talk about the, in the psychoneurobiological kind of framework that our, we get, that our mind creates an impact in our brain and our body. So the mind shows up in the brain and the body, and the mind is how we experience life. So we take life into our brain and our body, and that disrupts if it's toxic, if it's traumatic, and we're all experiencing traumas on different levels. It creates these responses, so our hormones respond like that. And So we've got to do something about it, because there's a lot of people that think, oh, well, it's a natural part of life. But in my, I mean, I have a story where I had, to, I had four kids, and I'm small, and I had pelvic floor had to have a complete pelvic floor reconstruction and it meant hysterectomy and it meant suddenly no ovaries. So I went into surgical menopause because, Mike, I come from a line of families where menopause has never been an issue. And my mother never even, there was just like no symptoms and suddenly in, in my family. So I expected to go into that, but having surgically induced menopause, it was an overnight going from like just sort of being normal to, I mean, the, the hot flushes and I would look like I'd been showering in the middle of, and I'd be on a stage lecturing and suddenly I'm drenched and I'd, I'd have to be black so that you, no one could see it. And I mean, it's just, it just, it, and mood swings. And I went on to BHRT and it changed my life and I'm on it every three months. So, you know, that's, and I know, for, I mean, I don't know what you know, but I do know that if you don't have estrogen in the brain, you've got a problem. Your brain needs estrogen, your brain. So this thing that, oh, well, if it goes, it's meant to go, but we need to replace. So can we talk about Or is, how do you feel about that? You know, like in my case, I now had no ovaries and overparectomy as well. No, no womb, everything was gone. And so I'm sitting with nothing. So if I didn't replace that, I would have been a disaster zone in terms of neurological and cardiovascular health and mental health. And I can honestly say every three months I go for the pellet therapy and I can feel when it's wearing off, I can feel the change in my body. So, I'd love you to talk to that a little bit because that may not be. I'm sure there's a lot of women that can relate to that sort of situation.
1: Certainly. you know the I'm a fan of bioidentical hormone therapy, and we just traced you know this whole experience from puberty to menopause. And I would say anywhere along the way, there's a time and a place for bioidentical hormone support. But I think the place where it's most familiar, is for women who go through perimenopause and menopause. I totally agree with you. I think that estrogen is the the primary regulator of the female body, including the brain. So it's it's so essential. We know that on average, somewhere around 40 to 43 is where women start to notice the change in estrogen. They start to walk into a room and they can't remember why. They start to have vasomotor symptoms, as you experienced. When you go through surgical menopause, it is so much more abrupt and dramatic and intense. You you go from having relatively normal levels to the next day having nothing. So it's so important, I think, to see if you're a good candidate for bioidentical hormone therapy. Not everyone is. So in my medical practice, I screen patients all the time. To me, the most compelling reason for giving bioidentical hormone therapy is brain effects. Because we know that when it comes to the female brain, 80% of women over the age of 40 start to have these changes, this decrement in terms of the metabolism of glucose in the brain. And that's associated with more symptoms, the hot flashes, night sweats, mood changes, and so forth, maybe waking. And so we need to consider whether to intervene. So I'm a big fan of assessing whether a woman's a good candidate. I practice precision medicine. So my evaluation is probably much deeper than what some people may have experienced, but I'm looking at cognitive changes. I'm looking at genomic factors, like whether estrogen is a good idea in terms of blood clotting, in terms of The metabolism of estrogen, risk of breast cancer, risk of cardiovascular disease, because estrogen can affect that up until about age 60. But another factor that I think is important to consider is that there's a window of opportunity. And you don't want to wait until that window is closed. We think when it comes to the heart and to the cardiovascular system, that the window is about 10 years. So we really like to treat women ideally before age 60. But I think the, the window is actually smaller when it comes to the brain. So the latest data that we're seeing, and there's not enough research on this, but from what we know, we think that window might be more like five years when it comes to the female brain. So you have to intervene within that five years of a hysterectomy or perimenopause, menopause, because if you wait too long, it can actually be more risky to give estrogen to an older female brain. So that window of opportunity is also an important factor to consider.
0: Did you know about 80% of the brain is made up of water? For this reason, water is an essential nutrient the brain depends on to maintain optimal function. When our brains don't receive enough water, many negative effects can result, such as concentration and memory problems, brain fatigue, and brain fog, headaches, sleep issues, and more. One way my family and I love staying hydrated is by using LMNT electrolytes. LMNT is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. LMNT is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet. LMNT contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, with none of the junk. No sugar, no colouring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. I particularly love their chocolate salt and watermelon salt. For a limited time, you can claim a free LMNT sample pack. All you have to do is pay for shipping. To claim the special offer, just go to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. Wow. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I've been done a, a couple of interviews with people in this area, especially you probably know Lisa Moscone. Oh yeah. And yes. the link, yeah, the link with Alzheimer's and that when she also speaks about the, you know, the window and how we've got to realize that you actually prevent Alzheimer's from young, early on. And I love that you said about you, you potentially do BHRT, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy for at any stage in that, in that life cycle. Because I know there was a lot about just for perimenopause or many menopause or postmenopause, a woman in that window. But there's also maybe younger. This, I mean, our kids are being affected. Our youngsters are being affected by so many things. It's not uncommon, is it, for girls to go for a, year, a long time without periods, with all the, you know, all kinds of issues and reasons behind that. And it may. What is your opinion about that? How do you feel about sort of the earlier stages and the changes? Are you seeing differences in our young women? Earlier? Is there a change? Are there patterns starting to happen because of our
1: lifestyles? There are patterns. So, one of the patterns is that we're seeing earlier puberty. We see earlier development of puberty care, breast development, probably related to endocrine disruptors that are in our environment. We also see more PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome. That's where that's a constellation of symptoms related to it's a syndrome. So not everyone has all of the criteria, but the problem with PCOS is that it can take people seven years to get an accurate diagnosis. Yeah. That's I've heard before. Yeah. So that's a serious problem. And what I see for a lot of younger women is that there's this knee-jerk reaction to just start them on a birth control pill. And that's not a solution either. I mean, it certainly helps some women with problems such as endometriosis, or you know, it helps people avoid surgery, such as a hysterectomy. But most women don't get the full informed consent about the risk of micronutrient depletions, what it does to your nutrition, especially magnesium, B vitamins, vitamin C. It also can rob you of testosterone, free testosterone. Testosterone is so important for confidence, for agency even risk-taking, healthy risk-taking. Of course, it's involved also in sex drive as well as muscle mass. But testosterone is one of the most abundant hormones. It's the most abundant hormone in the female body. And so we've got to be thinking about, well, would this young woman do better once I diagnose her with PCOS with natural bioidentical progesterone every three months? Or is the birth control pill the right choice? So that's the kind of collaborative conversation that I think patients need to be having with their physicians. Gosh,
0: I think you need to be training physicians all around the world. Thank goodness for your books, because it's educating so many people and so many physicians to look at things differently, because you're so right. You know, someone doesn't have a period pop them on the birth control pill, but what is the life story? What's, what are the factors? What is, what is the trauma? I mean, trauma, how does trauma impact hormone functioning? Could
1: you talk a little bit about that? So trauma, I believe, is the number one disruptor of the hormone system. The number one disruptor, and I, I think there's not enough awareness about this. You know, there's there's so many fantastic books on trauma, and not enough information about what it's doing to things like your hormones, like the control system for your hormones. When you grow up with, you know, if we just look at something like adverse childhood experiences and A scores, we know that. Aces will disrupt the control system, the hypothalamic-pituitary-adrenal axis. We can measure this. We can measure it with cortisol. We can measure it with looking at some of the enzymes that are involved in producing cortisol. You know this. I mean, you're an expert at trauma. Well, but so, you're the expert to explain it
0: away. So I, I, you do it so well. You do a better job than I do.
1: Well, I think trauma, you know, I think of trauma as an overwhelming experience. And I think we need to broaden our definition of it. I see so many patients who say, oh, no, I didn't have trauma. And then they say, oh, yeah, my parents were divorced. Oh, yeah, I, you know, was belittled as a child or bullied. Oh, yeah, you know, I went through medical training, which in it's and of itself ridiculous. is tra- traumatizing. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of people experience medical trauma. They get gaslit by their physicians. They start to doubt their reality about, you know, the symptoms that they're experiencing. So I think trauma is so common. And unfortunately, we need more solutions. We need things that are effective, things such as the solutions that you've published in your books. We also, I'm a big fan of psychedelic medicine. I think this is really going to transform The way that we approach trauma, I think the data from the phase three trial of MDMA and its effect on trauma, the data on ketamine, the data on microdosing psilocybin is really impressive. Now, I think that needs to be done with in the setting, the right set and setting, you know, typically in the context of psychedelic assisted therapy. But I believe that the FDA is probably going to approve the use of MDMA for trauma probably in 2023, I hope. So I'm just really excited about some of the solutions that we have. And I think we need to be talking about it more.
0: We need to be talking about it more. And, it, and you, we need to be, as you say, trauma-informed. I talk about this all the time, and it's becoming quite a common phrase that people use. But trauma, we always associate trauma with those massively big, huge things. But there's the, I always talk about trauma being on a scale of 1 to 10. And in our life, we're going to have all 10 but at some point in our life we might be sitting at 19 19 19 or sometimes it's one two three and we can kind of cope with those a bad post on social media or a little argument with a loved one you know that's still trauma because it's an adverse experience so what I'm hearing you saying and I've seen this in my research but I, I, I'm so interested to hear more in terms of the actual hormonal impact is that I'm hearing you saying that that mind brain that mind brain body connection it's very real that psychoneurobiology is very real that your hormone system, can be completely thrown. So it's not unusual for someone who's experienced childhood trauma to actually not have a period or to have a complete disruption of the cortisol, which is then going to you know, have a whole downstream effect on everything else as well. So when someone comes with, I haven't had a period for whatever, or comes in with mood disruption or something like that, it shouldn't just be automatically a diagnosis and a medication. It should be what has happened. And you know, as, a, as the clinical neuro, I don't practice anymore, but when I practice clinically, but everything I teach now is you've got to find the root cause. So, so, so the point I want to make here, and I want to ask you about this, is I get approached often by people that use things like neurofeedback and you know, everything that you've mentioned, the, all the different therapies. Let's talk about all the physical therapies, each, and I, we have to do those because life has an impact on our brain and our body. Instead of, we, we've got to stop saying, I believe that the brain made me do it. The, the trauma isn't in the brain, the trauma is out there, and then it landed up in the brain. So the, the, the source is not in your brain, the source is in the environment that you've experienced. So if you just remedy the hormones or whatever without dealing with the root, the, the, what's distort the, the narrative and find the root cause. Those hormones are going to keep reverting back, so they might be okay for a while because you give them BHRT. But the mind can override, as you and I both know. The mind can also disrupt again. You can be having the right, you know, the right treatment and be doing all the right neurofeedback and having all the right lifestyle changes, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and support medication, etc. But if you don't get your mind right. Those will just be temporary fixes. So you've got to have the mind working with the brain and the body. That's how I understand it. And I, and and from my understanding, please correct me if I'm wrong here, because this is your field of expertise. But I'm almost seeing like the quickest signal in the body is our hormones. And as you so correctly said, cortisol starts the process. We've got to pay attention to cortisol, and then we've got to look at the downstream effect. And that kind of is almost like the first lot of physical signals that that we really feel and impact and see very quickly. The other ones are kind of lag a little bit behind, but Please correct me if I'm wrong in my assessment.
1: You nailed it. I mean the I think it's it's so essential to realize that trauma is this ongoing experience in the body. It's related to self-regulation, it's related to hormonal pathways, it's related to inflammation. You know, one of the things I see in so many of my patients with a trauma history is that they weren't able to say no as a child. And they got mixed messages about autonomy and about the beneficence of their caregivers. And as a result, they have autoimmune activity. That's true in probably 80% of my patients. Gabor Mate, I think, has written very beautifully about this. And so as you described, what I'll see in some of my patients, I always screen everyone for trauma But what I'll see is I'll start someone on some thyroid medication. They feel fantastic for about two to four weeks, and then they go back to not feeling good again. So that's where we need to be looking at some of these more hidden causes of hormone disruption, such as trauma. Same thing with other forms of bioidentical hormone therapy. You know, I'll have a patient with perimenopausal Mood dysregulation will start her on some transdermal estrogen, some oral progesterone if she has a uterus, and maybe she feels better for a few weeks, and then she goes back to not feeling so good, and that often can relate to trauma. That's not the only reason. There's other factors in terms of inflammation, hidden infections, viruses, and so forth, mold, Lyme disease, but you know, trauma, I would say, is always at the top of my list. This episode is brought to you by Public Goods,
0: the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food. Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly and innovative products. I just placed an order for a ton of pastas, sauces, spices and oils and cannot wait to get cooking. Public Goods is also a great place to get beautifully packaged gifts for friends and family. They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives, still common on drug and grocery store shelves. They are committed to making their products healthy and safe for humans, animals and the environment. I worked out an awesome deal just for my listeners receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. Plus, right now, receive your choice of either a free pack of bamboo straws or reusable food storage wraps with your order. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com forward slash dr leaf or use the code Dr. Leaf at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf to receive $15 off your first order. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. And then from the top of the list, you're going to go through all of those. I'm so glad you mentioned about Lyme disease because it presents so, so many times with psychiatric symptoms yes. that are treated with the worst in the worst way when you've... And, and, You've got to treat the Lyme disease and and everyone's always got some trauma. So the trauma can exacerbate. So if the Lyme disease is there, the trauma can exacerbate. Whatever's there will be exacerbated. So we've always got to address, you know, whatever level of trauma is there. So, oh gosh, there's so many millions of questions I want to ask you. Can we just kind of, if you don't mind, can we pivot? And I have to please ask you to come back again because we haven't touched the tip of the iceberg. I would love it. But I'd love to pivot to... The sort of let's talk about what happened with Facebook recently with these kids uh, to Facebook and Instagram and how there was this huge challenge about you know, the whole body, the whole body image situation and how so many young girls are getting body eating disorders. And, you know, this has become a very big problem and it's been it's not new. It's been growing, but it's kind of like hit a peak and it's exploded. And this I think this most recent Facebook thing has really brought it to light. So my question is, in the light of that, we have so many the ketogenic diet and this diet and that diet. And, you know, and there's kind of a lot of dangers around that. And you speak to that, you talk about the keto paradox and you identify the reasons why so many women fail to lose weight on the classic ketogenic diet, how it can be potentially dangerous. you I mean, there's so many things that you talk around nutrition and hormones as well. And I know we don't have a huge amount of time now, but I'd love to come back and do that in more depth. But I'd love to for now, just talk a little bit around the trauma of Body imagery and what we've been told the diet culture and you know what's good and bad and all that kind of thing and what it's done to our young kids as well, male and female. I'd love to talk just a little bit about that and how you think that's impacting, and a little bit about maybe ketogenic diets or whatever diet. I mean, whatever you take this wherever you'd like to take this. Kind of laid a foundation. See how you'd love to answer it.
1: (laughs) Well, let me start first by saying that I find it heartbreaking to see the data on social media and how that reinforces and often feeds these body image issues that our younger women are experiencing. I think younger people in general feel it, but especially in my home where I've got two daughters, one 16, one 21, I think about it a lot because my daughters are digital natives. They're on their phone, even though We've got curfews with their screen time, and we always have. There's a way that diet culture really influences these girls. And I think they're they're constantly bombarded with these images, especially of, you know, I think of supermodels as being genetic outliers. You know, they're they're often six feet tall and they weigh very little. You know, I won't go through names, but you know, that's not what the female form looks like. And I think it's so important to be talking to our kids about all different body shapes and sizes, how they're equal, all different shape sizes and colors, to be talking in an anti-racist way about media and how we consume media. And we knew before the whistleblower was testifying for Congress that Increased social media use is associated with greater anxiety, greater depression, but anxiety, especially among our young people. So this is something as parents that I think we have the opportunity to intervene. One of the things we do in our house is that we do a intermittent fasting from digital. So we do that once a week. And I think that's really important just to, to have a 24-hour period where you're not constantly looking at images that are making you feel bad, You know, often images that are altered and not real. So you may have some other things to say about this, but I think what I see hormonally is that a lot of these women see this, this like perfect image of the female form and they just automatically, whether it's conscious or not, start to compare their, themselves to that idealized version and feel like they fall short. I mean, before we even had social media, we knew that 80% of women were not satisfied with their body. I think the relationship that women have to their body, to food, is complex. It's not easy to just unpack briefly in a podcast. But one of the things, you know, one of the reasons why I wrote this latest book, Women, Food and Hormones, is because I want for women to understand that this isn't about diet culture. And There are women who, while I love the body positivity movement and the fat acceptance movement, there are some women who feel like that also doesn't speak to them and that they they want to find their own path, their own truth. I like to position myself in the middle where we're really looking at something called metabolic health. So how that metabolism is working, how your hormones and metabolism are supporting you, and I found that a ketogenic diet that's adapted for women is one of the ways that I think you can use food to regulate your hormones. So that's what the new book is about. But I'm curious what you think in terms of the, you know, what we're learning about Facebook and Instagram in terms of anxiety, depression, and body image dysphoria. Well, everything you've
0: said, I totally agree with. You've actually verbalized exactly how I feel about it, you know, because you're wiring whatever you are thinking about the most, your your brain, your mind drives your brain. So your brain, your brain is going to merge with that. And it's going to become part of your neural wiring. And I always use these little toxic trees because thoughts look like trees in the brain. So I always talk about these little toxic trees and versus healthy trees. I've always used my little trees, but this is, this is, this is disruptive. So when you're constantly looking at that, so that image of that so-called ideal body, and all the issues, everything that's attached to that, which is what we are, you know, the whole emotion in that—that's that, built in, that's wired into the brain, and be, and that is the anxiety that that creates is then going to disrupt the cortisol, the hormones. So there's, so, there's the whole downward effect on that. So, it would be interesting to see if the increase in maybe not uh, problems with periods and problems with hormones with young young are you seeing more in younger more hormonal issues and PCOS or well, that's something that's maybe a bit different, but hormonal issues in younger and younger and younger children, which you said already earlier on, there is a change. So I do believe that that's playing in and it's changing our body because our brain rewires. And if this this is toxic, so this is immediately disrupting the entire endocrine system, and including the immune system. The immune system is immediately fighting that. So yeah, everything you say, there's a direct mind-brain-body connection. And so hormones will be affected so we've got to look holistically and we've got to recognize the impact of this is not just a to talk about oh this is so bad this is actually changing our children's brains and bodies and the 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 hormones that, they, that literally run the brain and the body and if we don't address this this is a major issue so i'm very pleased that you are talking about this and i just wanted to sort of bring that up and i think it's a deeper conversation and we can dive into deeper next time but Sarah, I don't even want to end this conversation because I wanted to ask you, is there, you've, okay, there's two things. We've got a few more minutes. It's like two minutes. So your latest book, you are a New York Times bestselling author. You're a leading hormone expert. Your latest book, "Woman, Food, and Hormones. You share groundbreaking new plan that is designed by a woman for women and the unique female biology. Your new health plan includes detoxification, nutritional ketosis, Intermittent fasting has been proven to help women lose weight and feel better. So, do you want to just talk for literally, you literally have two minutes left. Just give us a quick overview of how this is going to help women and hormones and mental health and where they can get it and where they can find out more about you.
1: The book really came out of an experience I had with my husband where I noticed that my metabolic health was worsening. So, my glucose was rising. Usually, we get that checked every year with our doctor. And my husband and I went on a ketogenic diet. He lost 20 pounds in you know, a matter of weeks. I gained weight. My glucose did not get better. And so I realized that we've got to work around some of these strategies to improve our metabolic health. So there isn't like, one cookie cutter plan. That's Sorry, right. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Sorry. Well, we have to personalize it. So that's what the book is about, how to personalize it for women. And you can get it anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes Noble, your favorite indie. You can also go to my website, sarahgodfreyatmd.com, where you can get a few bonus things that can help you go deeper with the material.
0: And your Instagram page is amazing. Everything you do is just so beneficial. And I think the key thing that I've, I've picked up so many things from you, learned so much from you, but I love how you said your husband lost weight, you gained weight, and you ended up with a statement that you're not saying this is the diet because there's no one diet. You're saying it's up to each person individually. So you teach people how to uniquely work out. And that may not be the ketogenic diet. It may be something else. That's right. That's you teaching a person to see yourself as a unique individual with a unique metabolism and to learn how to understand that so that your hormones can work correctly. Have I I understood that correctly?
1: You nailed it. Because your food can regulate your hormones. So we want to eat in a way that creates the best symphony.
0: Beautiful. I mean, you've got that symphony going, it feeds back into your mind and then you've got this beautiful psycho symphony happening in your mind, brain and body. Dr. Gottfried, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been so informative and I'm looking forward already to our next discussion. So thank you.
1: My pleasure. So happy to be with you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful.